Hello and welcome to the PCRS podcast series. In this series, we'll be bringing you experts on a number of respiratory related topics. The podcast has been produced to update you and to give you food for thought about how you deliver your respiratory services. Hello and welcome to this podcast. We're talking about our fit care document. My name is Carol Stonham. I'm a primary care nurse based in Gloucestershire and I'm executive chair of PCRS and I'm joined by Ren today. Ren, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, hello everybody. My name is Ren Lawler. I'm an advanced nurse practitioner, a respiratory nurse specialist and director of the Good Practitioner uh, Education and Training. Lovely, thank you. So, Ren, this document, this fit care document, we've had for a little while now, and it's a hugely popular document. It's something that you were the author on. So can you tell me, first of all, why it seemed an important thing to write? Yes, of course. So um, initially, when I joined PCRS, uh, I now sit on the executive committee and um, the chair for the education committee. And as part of the education committee, there there was one sort of thing that kept coming up time and time again. And that was this issue with the training that clinicians out in practice had when they were seeing patients with significant respiratory disease. So historically, uh, we see in general practice quite often a practice nurse would do a sort of one day study day or something on asthma and then would become the asthma nurse um, and would actually still feel quite sort of anxious and and, and perhaps a little bit ill-equipped to see the patients that they were seeing. The other thing that we were aware of is that there were also a quite large sort of population of clinicians who thought that they were doing a very good job and of course we saw with the National Review of Asthma Deaths and things that in some areas perhaps that wasn't the case. So we felt that there was a need for some kind of guideline to help clinicians and healthcare professionals right the way across the board from sort of, you know, GPs, paramedics, pharmacists, physios, uh, nurses, you know, everybody who was involved uh, in the care of these patients to have an understanding of what what the, the sort of gold standard of training and experience was for them depending on their role with those patients Uh, and that's that's kind of where it initially came from it was it was kind of a a supportive document if you like for for clinicians to to have an understanding of perhaps where they sat in terms of their levels of training uh, with this with this kind of patient population. And I think it's quite interesting that you say these, these levels of training and levels of input into the, the care of the patient if you like so I think the other thing is that quite clearly different people have different levels of responsibility within the patient pathway. So we have some people that will be maybe just doing the very basics around checking inhaler technique and maybe updating a personalised asthma action plan and not really doing too much more than that. Then we've got to the other extreme, healthcare professionals that will see patients with the onset of symptoms, go through the whole diagnostic pathway with them, organise or carry out all of the appropriate tests and then having taken the history and and all of those appropriate things that that they need to do, made sense of their tests and given the patient the diagnosis and started them on the treatment pathway. So it can be from fairly minimal to fairly extensive um, input. So absolutely. How does the document break that down so that I could tell if I was just doing a little bit or if I was doing a lot where I should sit? So, um, so what I determined to do was obviously give a little bit of an introduction about what the, the document is there for. So, so when you first sort of get the, 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 the actual sort of document itself, there's an introduction that talks about how to use it um, and where to sort of place yourself. 
And we separated or attempted to separate healthcare professionals out into into sort of three groups. And that's kind of almost like your beginners, your intermediates and, and your advanced, if you like. Because one thing that I've become increasingly aware of, and, and obviously since this document first came out, we've updated it. Um, it went through a, a, a recent update, in fact, is that you do have people who are perhaps working in uh, roles such as healthcare assistants or nursing associates now and things like that, who may not have had any training, but are also now responsible for, you know, sort of the, the asthma reviews. So although they're not seeing patients uh, from a diagnostic point of view and they may not be prescribers, for example, at the same time, they might be the only person that that patient sees for an entire year if they're doing the annual reviews. And if they're not sure what they're asking, then obviously that's, that's, that's you know, where the patient's going to miss out on, on, on a high standard of care. So the document is, is designed not only for the clinicians, but also for people who are providing the training. So it may be that, for example, Carol, if you were a, a healthcare assistant um, and you felt a little bit uncomfortable doing what you've been asked to do, you could use the document to see whereabouts your training is and then where your training is, what you are competent to be doing. Do you see what I mean? So, you know, certainly, for example, if your practice was expecting you to do spirometry, but hadn't given you any training for it, then you would be able to utilize that document to demonstrate perhaps to your uh, line manager, to your practice manager and things like that, that look, actually, this is the kind of training I need to be competent and safe doing this specific thing. And that's how we've kind of worked it. So even right the way up to your, your advanced kind of clinicians, we're still saying, look, this is the kind of training, even if you're incredibly experienced, you still should have had this training to be able to competently undertake those sort of tasks that's in this list for the advanced clinician. So, so you can use it as a tool towards your, your business case, for want of a better word, when you're trying to access mm. training and somebody needs to pay for that. So I think that's really important. I think the other thing that, that often I find is that I find somebody that has done some training, but it's a very long time ago. Mm. So there's that bit around it being current training that reflects yeah. current guidelines and current evidence. So the other thing that that brings me on to, particularly when you're talking about healthcare assistance, but also junior staff, is delegation. And I think we are not always as responsible about our duty of care around delegation mm. or even we don't maybe know what our duty of care is and where our responsibilities lie. So is that something that is included in the document? It is now. So initially when, when it was put together, um, I think the focus was very much on uh, helping clinicians understand what training they needed to do, what stuff, if you like. Um, and it was also a kind of, almost like a, a piece of evidence or something for cl clinicians to use in their appraisal, for example, to put forward the argument, you know, for why they want the training, why they're asking to go on this uh, diploma course or whatever for asthma, COPD, those kind of things. But interestingly enough, just this this year and, and, and last year, we've, we've kind of started thinking a little bit more about those people that are responsible for delegating those tasks in the first place um, to their colleagues. So certainly if you were the senior practice nurse or the, or, you know, the, the GP with respiratory interest within the practice, it may be that you've kind of said, well, you know, the healthcare assistant, nursing associate, physician's assistant, paramedic we've got working, whoever it may be, has been there for a very long time. And I'm quite confident that they, they've, they've got, you know, a level of competence to undertake an asthma review, but actually perhaps haven't fully taken on board the responsibility that they then have 
for asking someone to do something that perhaps they've had no formal training in. And so now what we've added in at the beginning of the document is just a kind of section that, that explains if you are the person that's delegating these tasks, these type of appointments, these type of patients to your colleagues within practice, you as a manager um, and as a, a line manager, a delegator, need to be very sure that you are giving them the support, the training that they need to actually undertake those those kind of tasks. And we, you know, I, I kind of when I first wrote it, I, I kind of missed that a little bit because I was so focused on providing great care and really high standards of care to, to, to patients. I kind of, uh, if I'm completely honest, forgot a little bit about the pressure that some clinicians and healthcare professionals might feel when they're in an environment where they're being asked to do things that they're not 100% sure they should be doing. So the document is kind of hopefully a, a bit of a support for them to, to sort of evidence why, you know, they, they need more training or why they need more support or why they need uh, some supervision, for example, some clinical supervision within consultations that they're already doing. Hmm. So, so it sounds like from a healthcare professional point of view, it's a really good rounded document that is going to support your development and your training. But I think the other side of the coin is I work at the CCG as part of my role. And one of the things we did, um, it was probably about 18 months ago, maybe slightly longer now, is we did an audit of the educational standards or the educational levels of the staff within our respiratory team. And the reason we did that is because we needed to know where our gaps were and how we were going to fill those gaps. And we used fit to care in that context. So we, we benchmarked people against, depending on their role, we benchmarked their educational achievements against the standards set in fit to care. So, so is there a place, do you feel, for commissioners more generally or managers more generally to use it in that way more extensively? Or in the case, as you said, when we're talking about our one-to-one appraisal, if you've got somebody that is underperforming, could you use it to, to prove to that person they need more training? You talked about people that think they're doing a good job but don't know. Mm, yeah, I really do. I, yeah, I really do because... I, it's not a it's not a didactic document, so it doesn't kind of uh, sort of scream at you and say you absolutely shouldn't be doing this. Uh, you know, only certain people should be doing this. It, it's not written in that way, and that's not the, the intention of use. It's very much designed and and written to um, to guide people to to a sort of clearer, better understanding of of what sort of training they need. We know that across the board, not just in respiratory care, but across the board, quite often uh, you have clinicians who are perhaps, as generalists, not entirely uh, the right person to be seeing uh, a particular patient, particularly if something is is a little bit complex. So certainly if you've got someone whose asthma is, is, is poorly controlled, for example, you know, it may be that no one's picking up on the fact that they're overusing their salbutamol because the person who sees them for their annual review isn't looking at their medications because they're not a prescriber or they don't have an understanding of of what the medications are you know you and I both know the amount of inhalers that are out there now is just insane and even uh, myself sometimes I'll look at a name of an inhaler or, or someone comes in for a device check and I'm like I have absolutely no idea how to use that because I've never seen it before but you know at a certain level you've got the confidence to say that so I think that, you know, there is a risk that there are people who perhaps are undersupported, but don't perhaps have the confidence to say so. And in an appraisal situation, using a document like this, it, it's, it's almost like a, a way of saying to that individual, you know, it's not that you're underachieving, it's not that you're no good at your job, because that's what you wouldn't want someone to, to sort of feel or take on board. 
but however we've got this document which is a, a good guide to standards and it seems that perhaps we haven't given you the training you need to do the things that you're doing and that allows you to kind of say so you know up until the point where we can get you on that training and um, perhaps it's not advisable for you to be seeing these patients or working at that level or whatever um, so that would be the other way that you could kind of use it in a diplomatic kind way and that's always important. We, we need to be kind to people. We don't need to be pulling people over the coals unnecessarily because oh, as you say, it's usually it's normally a lack of support, not a lack of competence as such or a, a, mm. a deliberate lack of competence. Yeah. So when you originally wrote the document, because it's a few years old now, when you originally wrote the document before the, the very first version of it, we were focusing probably more on nurses because nurses were the probably the most common prevalent workforce within primary care that was delivering respiratory care that's changed so we now as you said you sort of implied we've got nursing associates we've got physicians assistants we've got paramedics we've got physiotherapists we've got all sorts of people from different professional backgrounds that deliver care in to respiratory patients and that could be in primary care it could be in a community team it could be in an integrated setting or even secondary care so how flexible is the document to apply to those different working environments and those different professional groups it's very flexible so um you're absolutely right initially it was it was very much thinking of practice nurses doing asthma reviews copd reviews that kind of thing and then as time went on we've uh, or i've kind of updated it to reflect those other environments and those other professions the general kind of stance that that i take to be honest with you and and, and the general kind of feeling behind this document is that it, it doesn't matter what qualifications uh, or what dis- what discipline, rather, that individual um, is part of. When they're seeing a patient, I should be able to put an asthma patient or a, a COPD patient or an interstitial lung disease patient or a lung cancer patient, anything like that, should be able to sit in front of that clinician. And regardless of what their discipline is, they should know whether or not they have training to a sort of beginner's level uh, to uh, an intermediate level or an advanced level so it's it's not necessarily now and the way that we work now it's not about where that person you know came from what they originally qualified as it's whether or not they're fit to do the job that that patient requires them to do at the level that they need it done do you see yeah so there's not that you know there isn't a kind of you know, if you're if you're an advanced nurse, it looks like this. If you're an advanced pharmacist, it looks like this. It's it, it, it's multidisciplinary. So it's if you're an advanced clinician when it comes to respiratory care, this is what it should look like. This is what you should be trained as. And the other thing about it as well is that what we've done is we've added kind of links for training and things so people actually know where to go. So you know, we talk about smoking cessation and there'll be links within the document to say, well, this is where you can get that training. You know, this is where you can become a stage one smoking cessation advisor. And, and here's the link to do it. It's like online. It's free. It will take you half an hour. So it's not just a case of us kind of saying this is what you need to do. And this is the training. We've kind of said this is what you need to do. This is the training and this is where you can access it. And where we've been able to use sort of free resources and, and, and quick online learning and stuff like that we've put that in to try and make it a little bit easier um, as opposed to sort of saying, you know, you have to go and do a full year degree, diploma level, uh, master's level course or anything like that. We've tried to keep it quite sensible and accessible to everybody. As part of that, we discussed with pharmacists and physios and things, you know, I'm a nurse by background, so 
I'm not going to be necessarily aware of the sort of resources that physiotherapists have to their, you know, to, to their sort of advantage. So, so speaking to other members of the education committee, for example, and finding out where physios tend to go for their sort of post-qualification training or speaking to pharmacists and saying, okay, well, where would you go and look for this kind of training? Because, you know, as you say, a lot of, uh, a lot of modules and things like that are kind of geared towards nurses um, that is changing, but I think that that was a, an initial issue. So we've, we've kind of updated that and it's, it's, a, it's a much more multidisciplinary um, document now. Yeah, and I think it's, it's important that we're not a training organisation, so we don't have any vested interest in getting people to take on our courses as such, but we are, we, we're independently looking at the, the level of education and the level of training somebody should have to deliver the job and then suggesting potential places where they can access those courses just so they've got a sort of a direction to go from. Mm. So I think the other thing just to think about is, so this sounds like a really great document. It sounds like it's going to be really useful to a whole range of different healthcare professionals and commissioners and managers. But where is it? Where do we find it? Is it easy? Is it free? Is it easily accessible? It's free. Of course it's free. Uh, it's free and it's accessible on the Primary Care Respiratory Society's website. Uh, so you can just search for it. It's called Fit to Care. In fact, if you go to Google and just put Fit to Care PCRS, it comes up as the first link. And then you can download the, the document there. Um, it's cur- currently being updated again. So um, following a recent uh, meeting, we decided to add a, a couple of other little bits that I'm going to do. But the original, the, you know, the, the most up-to-date version so far is, is easy, easily accessible online. Uh, and then obviously once I've, I've kind of updated it in the next few months, it will just, it will just switch over. Um, but yeah, it's a free document. Um, as I said, it's accessible for all. You can print it off if you want to, take it to your appraisal if you want to. But yeah, it's, it's not something that, that, that PCRS is going to charge for or anything like that. It's, it's designed to help and support and guide. And that's, you know, we want it to be far reaching as possible uh, for, for, for people to be able to utilise. Excellent. So, so the suggestion would be that people go to the website, find it, download it, and, and then just, what I found useful personally was to think about the care that I was delivering, think about what level that put me at within the document, and then look at whether or not I actually had achieved the right training to, to, to do that job in the right time. So I, I've used it personally, and I think it is a really useful document. So that, I think, has been a really helpful conversation. Um, we, we all need to be very aware of the responsibilities and our, our own personal development. And we need to be making sure we're moving in the right direction and making sure that we're offering care that is appropriate, relevant, evidence-based and up-to-date for our patients. And that we're not stepping beyond what our roles should be and our responsibilities should be. And if we, we realise that we can do something about it, and it sounds like a great document to do that with. I think it's, I also think it's quite helpful in terms of your own kind of reflection and practice. So certainly if you're, you know, having to do your revalidation, for example, in nurses, if you're doing your 360 as a GP or anything like that, you know, you can actually say that you've utilised that document to reflect on your own practice, reflect on your own level of practice, your own competency, your own self-awareness. So it's also quite handy in, in, in that respect. I mean, I think when I was writing it, I was thinking, oh goodness, I actually haven't done an update in in some time, you know. So, it, you know, it's very easy to go on BMJ Learning or something and, and just update on a section that perhaps I might have got a bit rusty on um, even if it was prescribing or medication or, or whatever um, so it, you know it's another kind of another kind of document if you like that kind of pokes you a little bit and says are you sure you're up to date are you sure you've got this right you know and it can kind of help you in that respect as well so I think 
even for you know your own revalidation and, and, and your own kind of reflective uh, sort of practice I think that's quite helpful yeah I think a prod in the right direction is always a helpful thing or at least a sort of a reminder that you need to be just checking mm. so that's been a really useful really interesting conversation I'd like to thank you Ren for joining me to talk to tell us about Fitzcare and hope that we now see that we've got lots of people going to the website to download it and actually get on and make sure that they're doing the, they're, they're fit to do the job they think that they, they should be so thank you very much for joining us all so it's goodbye for me it's goodbye for me thank you for listening please remember to subscribe for future podcasts goodbye